Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand. I am especially glad to be here this morning. I thought I was going to die getting here. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it was an interesting morning. I forgot, I think, everything. I forgot to put my tie on. I can't find my hat. So my head froze. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I say all that to say I'm so glad to be here now. <laughs> I was telling my wife, this has got to be uh, a really good service that we're coming into. This is going to be great. Because <laughs> it's been interesting so far. Amen. But this is an awesome opportunity that we've been afforded this morning. This is an opportunity, again, to enter into the presence of God. This is an opportunity to receive of Him everything that He has in store for us today. What does God have in store for you today? I don't know. But there's one way to find out. And only one way. Amen. Let's get engaged in God's service here this morning. Let's lift Him up. Let's call on His name. We'll pray for this service that God's perfect will would be manifest in our midst here this morning. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty King. We again heap glory and honor unto the Most High God this morning. We acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that You sit on the throne this morning, that You are Lord and God even today. doesn't matter what's going on outside. It doesn't matter what we're going through in our personal lives. You're still on the throne. You're still in charge. You still call the shots. And so we turn to You, Lord Jesus. And we see you, that you are high and lifted up this morning, that your train still fills the temple, that we live this morning in you, that we live from victory to victory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. We acknowledge you in all things. We acknowledge that this is your service, that we are your people. This is your church. This time here this morning has been ordained by you to receive all that we have need of today. I pray, God, that all of your heart would be manifest, that all of your mind would be accomplished in this place this morning, that your people would give glory and honor unto whom the glory and honor is due, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that your name would be glorified in our midst here today, in these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Thank you, those that were here uh, yesterday for the business meeting. Uh, we got everything accomplished in a timely manner. Only took us half hour, in and out. That's the way I like meetings. Mm. <clears throat> Less is better. <laughs> it's necessary. We got to do it. Uh, it is the business of the church, and fortunately or unfortunately, uh, it's got to be done. So we did it, and uh, we did it. I think well. God's business needs to be accomplished, yes? Uh, and although it's not necessarily a, a spiritual thing, it is the business of the church, the business of the kingdom. And we took care of that. Amen. Thank you all that were here for that yesterday. Genesis chapter 8 and 22 states this. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, And summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. Amen. We'll be talking this morning a little bit on this topic, seed time and harvest. 
seed time and harvest. Now, if I were, if I had been a spiritual person growing up, and I had known Scripture and had understood this verse here, it would probably have been one of my favorite verses. Because even as a child, I was a summertime child. Winter was okay. We got to go sledding. It was fun. Uh, Me and my brother would beat each other up. It was great. But, but, school was going on in the wintertime. And I didn't like school. Summertime. (laughs) Summertime was my time. I was on my time now. And whereas in the wintertime, I had to be drug out of bed kicking and screaming, summertime came, I was up. 5.30, 6 o'clock, whenever the sun was up, I was up. Because I'm on my time. I got stuff to do. I got forts to build. I got, I got places to explore. We got games to play. And Saturday morning, of course, <laughs> 5.30, not only did we need to be up, but we needed to have our cinnamon toast ready, our glass of milk, and sitting in front of the TV to watch Saturday morning cartoons. Kids today have no idea what they're missing with Saturday morning cartoons. From about 5.30 in the morning to 12.30, we were glued to the TV watching cartoons. Anyway, that is not at all spiritual. <laughs> but it was, it was fun. And after that, all day outside. Parents couldn't find us because we didn't want to be found. Because if they did find us, it was work time. There was something to do in the house. There was something to do around the yard. Mm, No, sir, no, ma'am. When they told us, well, you can either stay here and help. That was all we needed to hear. Well, we'll, we'll, We'll be here for lunchtime. Just give a yell. We were on 40 acres and had a lot of woods and stuff. So they would yell at the top of their lungs and we'd hear them. And we'd come running, get our lunch, and off. Because it was summertime. I loved summertime. It was warm. Uh, We could be outside in t-shirts. We could, you know, take the hose out and and, and splash and and, and have fun. Because it's summertime. But one thing that I didn't like about summertime was the garden. I didn't like the garden because that was a lot of work. My dad was very ambitious, and he had a huge garden, huge garden. He worked on the railroad. Uh, Brother Shepard can appreciate this. He was a conductor, so he was gone a lot. When he was home, it was work time. And so on the summer, in summertime, that work consisted of hoeing. It consisted of picking weeds. It consisted of watering and this garden was, it was probably from this pulpit to where that red house is, long. It was probably that long uh, with stuff. Everything and anything that he could, he could find to order. He would plant it and we'd have to take care of it. But what was interesting, despite the fact that it was a lot of work, and it took time away from my time. <clears throat> it was uh, watching them grow. You'd put the little seed in there, 
and it would end up being this huge plant. And that always fascinated me, not to the point where I'd actually study it out or anything, uh, but getting ready for this message, I actually did some studying on seeds and, and the seeds getting prepared, and the seeds then, after they're ready, the germination process, it's a fascinating process, and it's, as you might expect, quite a bit more complex than I had originally thought. Just the seed growing in itself is extremely complex, a biomechanical, genetic, you know, molecular uh, process that's absolutely fascinating, and uh, it's, uh, it's very similar uh, to human reproduction, but in a plant. I won't get into specifics, don't need to, but it's more similar than I thought it would be. Anyway, the seed starts growing, and it, you know, it's, it, it looks you know, green and, and full of life, and there, there's, there's moisture in there, and there's nutrients, and, and uh, it's growing, it's alive. And then at some point during the growth process of the seed, it starts to desiccate, it starts to dry out, and... Uh, eventually, the seed ends up being almost devoid of water and, and pretty dormant. And it stays like that until the conditions are right. It gets in fertile soil, it gets some moisture there again, and, and then the germination process starts. And it, uh, it transforms into a seed, into a plant of the type that produced it in the first place. Kind begets kind. In the natural, life is paramount. Okay? In our lives, we understand that life is, is precious. Life is absolutely uh, one of the most precious things that, that we have. Our lives, the lives of loved ones, the lives of everyone, really. And whatever you profess to believe... You might believe, you know, these, these people that, that say life is meaningless, uh, life is, it's a cosmic accident, it, it, you know, you're just a bag of chemicals worth buck two ninety eight, and that's it. Even those people don't really believe that. They don't actually live like they believe it anyway. They love their spouse, they love their kids, uh, as if their lives are meaningful, as if they, their lives mean something. And so... Thankfully, thankfully, they're not consistent with their beliefs. Uh, but everybody believes that at least some life is precious. You and I as Christians, we believe that all life is precious. That God created all life. All human beings' lives are precious. Because God created them in His image. He suffered on a cross and He died for them. And so all life is precious. We see it in the birth of a child. We acknowledge and we declare that life begins at conception. But there's still something really, really cool about a, a baby coming into the world. I, there's just nothing like it. If you've not seen it, uh, maybe you will someday. <laughs> Those of you that are younger, uh, Lord willing, you'll see it. But it's such a, it's a literal miracle. You just stand in awe, stupefied. At the, at the whole process. And then you, you begin to understand that, and then it becomes all the harder to understand 
how people can accept abortion. How people can accept the idea that, that we can terminate that life on a whim. And I understand all the arguments. I understand the situations are not quite as, as simple and as cut and dried as, as all of that. But at the end of the day, you're terminating an innocent life. I can't imagine a situation that's worth that. It's an innocent life. And life, there is, life is absolutely precious. You take a life. In war, soldiers take lives. Uh, in, in any situation, a criminal breaks into someone's home and on purpose or, or because of the heat of the moment, they take someone's life. You can't take that back. You can't put life back into that person, no matter what you do. Unless God intervenes and raises them from the dead, their natural lives are terminated forever. Everything that they could have done, everything that they would have been, accomplished, people that, whose lives they would have touched, it's gone forever. And you can't take that back. Someone dies of an accident. You know, death itself. Death is the enemy, church. It's the enemy. It's here because of sin. It's here because of the rebellion of Adam. That's how sin entered. Sin was never a part of God's or, uh, death. It was never a part of God's plan. It was, it, this is an alien thing in God's creation. It's an intruder. It was never supposed to be here. It's the enemy. It's our enemy. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death is the punishment for sin. That's the end result of sin, is death. And if I may throw another plug in, that's why we need to stay away from it. We need to avoid it like the plague. Don't tiptoe around it. Don't play with it. Run from it. Because the wages of sin is death. And sin is a very tricky thing. You may think you have control over it, but at that point right there, you're done. You're all done. As soon as you think you're, you're controlling the situation, you're deceived. Sin has got you. But death is going to be defeated once and for all. Isaiah 25 and 8 says, He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of His people shall He take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. And we find that verse being quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 54. Paul is stating, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So death is the enemy. At least in the natural. Death is the enemy. And one day God is going to defeat it once and for all. But in the Spirit, 
in the Spirit, we find something very strange. We find that we cannot have life unless we first experience death. When Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against the commandment of God, they tried to do what? They tried to cover their sin with plants. Now, I won't get into this too in-depth, but you never hear in Scripture about plants dying. You hear them fading. They're withering. But you never read in Scripture that plants die. In the biblical sense, plants are not living. They're not alive. Not in the biblical sense. They don't have the breath of life. And that's why plants wouldn't work. Something had to die. Plants can't die because they're not truly alive, not in the biblical sense. They're organic, self-replicating food sources. But they're not living in the biblical sense. So God killed something. He shed the blood of animals and covered them in animal skins. Signifying to us something very important. That it takes the shedding of blood to cover sin. It takes the death of something living to cover sin. In the tabernacle plan, when God established the sacrificial system through Moses, He elaborated on the fact that it would take the shedding of animals' blood to roll sin forward for one year. On the Day of Atonement, the sacrificial lamb was sacrificed and the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies. It took the innocent death of that animal. That animal hadn't sinned. The nation of Israel had sinned. Culminating, of course, in the death of Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice was sacrificed once for sin. Who died once for our sins. It took Jesus' innocent death to cover our sins. We would never have been made alive spiritually without the death of Jesus Christ. And even in our own lives, incorporating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ into our own lives... We have to die too. We have to die to our old natures. That's what repentance is. We're asking for forgiveness, absolutely. But it's more than that. We understand that. We're turning away from our old natures, from our old lives, our old affections, our old lusts. And we're moving in a different direction, one that pleases the Lord now. That's repentance. That's death to ourselves. We are literally, in a spiritual sense, Laying ourselves on an altar and dying. That's what's happening in the Spirit. We can't be made alive without that. We've got to die first. Death precedes life in the Spirit. In the natural, we must value life. 
God values each life. In the natural, life is paramount. All life. We've got to value all life. Every living creature except our own. Revelation 12.11 says this, They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then the part that no one really knows because no one ever quotes it. And they loved not their lives unto the death. That's part of that verse, church. That's part of how we overcome is that we love not our lives unto the death. All life is precious, but not so precious that it can be purchased at any price. John twelve twenty three through 25 says this, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What's he saying? Turns out he's saying an awful lot here. We've talked about the seed. The the process of the seed growing ends up drying out, gets hard sometimes, lies completely dormant. It's only at this point that the seed is ready. The seed won't work when it's green. It's only at this point can the seed germinate. I think of being a new convert. We were all there at one point, growing on into maturity. When we're new converts, <clears throat> everything is exciting. Everything is new. You see something in the Word of God. You hear the, the preacher preach something. You're in prayer and God speaks to you. It's so new and it's so wonderful and it's so awesome and everything. I mean, it's, just, it's like a new baby coming into the world. You're learning so much so fast and, and you're asking questions and, and experiencing different things. Trying to walk, falling down, getting hurt, getting picked back up. You know, it's a process. But what an awesome time that is. Everything's new, everything's exciting. You don't see the faults of people. Everybody in church is perfect. At least for a little while. <clears throat> that, that fades soon enough. We, we get that. <laughs> but when I first got the Holy Ghost, man, everybody was perfect. They could do no wrong. Everything the, the pastor said was, wow, yeah, I need to be doing that. Everything I read in the Word of God, 
and I was growing so fast, and at least I felt like it. And But then you get to a place where some of that falls away for one reason or another. Everything is not quite as new as it, as it was before. And you start seeing the, the pimples and the warts in your brothers and sisters. And maybe even if you're working with the, the preacher or, or a minister closely. I would advise at the same time to get as close to him as you can and, and, and not to get as close as you can. There's a lot to gain by getting close to him. But at the same time, you're going to see things maybe you wish you hadn't seen in his, his personal walk, his life, that he is human too. He's human, just like you. And so, <laughs> and then situations come up, and you start realizing that just because I'm living for God, my tire still goes flat. I still run out of gas. I still bang my thumb with a hammer. I still forget my hat. I, all of this stuff still happens. And, well, that's a little disappointing. But okay. Okay, fair enough. Still in the world. Keep going. And then something really bad happens. And you're like, I'm living for you, God. I'm paying my tithes and my offerings. I'm coming to church. How could that happen to me? And eventually, all of that growing and all of that freshness and all of that life starts to desiccate a little bit. It starts to dry up. And God forbid we get to the place in prayer where, where God removes His presence a little bit. Have you ever experienced that? If you've been praying for a decent amount of time, you probably have. And the first time that happened to me, it scared me to death. I didn't know that that was going to happen. And I was like, God, what did I do? I was repenting. I was, I was going through my life uh, trying to read my Bible more, trying to pray more, fast more, doing everything I could to... to Win God's favor back. I never lost it. I never lost God's favor. It's just that He tries us from time to time. And I'm glad He did because He taught me a valuable lesson. Because that's what I was going to prayer for. I wasn't going because I was going to talk with Jesus. I was going for a feeling. I was going for a rush. I was going for a uh, <laughs> a fix. <clears throat> and when God took that away, I had to make up my mind. Why am I coming here? I was coming to church not, not to experience God necessarily, but because all my friends were there. You know, it's good to have friends. I'd, I would prefer everybody had friends in church. But at the end of the day... What if your friends aren't there anymore? Are you still coming to church? I would hope so. Because there's one friend here that's always going to be here. Jesus is always going to be here. 
<clears throat> so, in a manner of speaking, and if you'll give me a little bit of poetic license here, I see us as that seed sometimes, uh, growing and full of life and, and full of uh, juices and enzymes and, and, and nutrients and, and just filled with life. And then things happen and situations arise and we become like the seed that's a little more mature, a little more weathered, a little more tempered, a little more refined. But you see, it isn't until the seed gets to that point that it's ready to produce a harvest. That's the only place that it can germinate. When you're growing and when you're full of life, that's great, that's fantastic, but you can't really do anything for God, not like He wants you to, not at that point. But when we get to that seed, that hard, dried out husk of a seed, then God says, okay, now that person is ready. Now I can use that person. You go from new convert to a mature Christian. You go from needing to be ministered to to the place where you're ready to minister to someone else. We cannot truly effectively minister. Not until we're ready to lay our lives down. Matthew 20 and 25 through 28 says this. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Growing crops is a very interesting thing. <clears throat> now back in the day before Monsanto and GMO stuff, farmers would save some of their seed. They'd store that and they'd plant it the following year. Now they have to buy it every year because <laughs> say all kinds of stuff about that. <clears throat> but they would save some seed and they'd use that to plant the following year. And they'd take the rest of the seed, they'd sell it or they'd grind it up into bread, do whatever. <clears throat> but let's talk about corn, for example. That's a, that's a big crop in this area. Iowa especially. Oh, my. <laughs> Corn's big. Several years ago, corn was really big. Uh, they were making money. Uh, they were making bank, like, I, I rented from a farmer in uh, southwest Minnesota, Worthington, Minnesota, and he had 
Uh, he's, he's a big-time farmer, 2,500 acres maybe, something along those lines. And he could, he could drop uh, $750,000 on a brand-new combine, combine, pay cash. It wouldn't phase him because he already had one that worked, but this one had tracks on it, and it was GPS. So then I didn't have to work as hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I suppose if I had the money, I'd do that too. I don't know. But they were doing okay. They were making, I can't remember what it was, a bushel, seven, eight, nine bucks a bushel, something like that. And, I mean, they, they were doing okay. So why not just save all the seed? Make more money that way. I can't sell the seed I'm keeping. Why would I save a little bit of seed? Well, I want a crop the next year, right? And I can't have a crop if I'm selling all the seed. I got to plant some of it. If you save the seed alive, you can't have crops. I could sell the seed and make a little bit of money on it. But wouldn't it be better if I put that seed in the ground and then the next year I could sell a lot of seed from that? Without death, the death of a seed, there can be no harvest. Only when we die to self can we be resurrected in newness of life. We see that in the plan of salvation. Death comes first. And then we're raised again in newness of life when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Only when we die to self can we see a harvest in our lives. That's the biblical plan. Now I'm not saying... I hope no one takes it this way, that I have to plant myself in the ground. And I hope you're not taking it that I have to get hit by a bus or I have to die literally for God to, to send us a harvest. That's not what I'm saying. But I have to die to self. I have to stop loving myself Okay, we need to love ourselves. Okay? I'm trying to say this the right way. We need to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. We love ourselves because God loves us. He loves us. We love what He love, loves. So, in that sense, yes, we do need to love ourselves. But, our lives can't be so precious to us that we're going to save our lives at any cost. At some point, we have to be willing to lay them down for the greater good. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friend. That's a demonstration of love. That's a demonstration of selflessness. That we have indeed died to ourselves. I'm not looking after my own cares and concerns anymore. I'm more interested in yours. That's, that's the idea. I've got to die to myself. I can't be worried about myself anymore. When all I'm worried about is what I'm going through, what I need, 
I mean, the seed's not ready. <laughs> the seed's not ready yet. <coughs> John fifteen twelve and 13 says, This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Got ahead of myself. That ye love one another as I have loved you. How does God love us? How did Jesus love us? How did He demonstrate that? He went to a cross. He laid down His life. It's the only way it would happen. He couldn't kill him against his will. He had a purpose in his heart to do that himself. He laid down his life for you and for me. The scripture verse that we read about the seed. If it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In a literal sense, he's talking about himself. He's referring to himself. He needed to die so that we could live. But sometimes you and I need to die so that others can live. Not in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense. We need to die to our old natures. We need to die to our affections and lusts. We need to die to what we want. We even need to die sometimes to what we legitimately need. There are some things we legitimately need. And sometimes God's going to ask us to put that on hold to minister to someone else. And he's going to find out whether or not the seed is ready. Is the seed ready to be planted? In our society today, it is really, really easy to look out there and get frustrated. To look out there and get a little bit discouraged at the way the world is headed, where people's minds are at, the way they think. And I'll admit that their thought processes are almost alien to me. Almost have a very hard time understanding where people are coming from nowadays. But here's the thing, though. People are still people. People suffer from the same things that they've always suffered from. They go through the same things that people have always went through. They get hurt by people they trusted. They don't trust people. They, they have doubts. They have fears. They get in situations that they feel overwhelmed. They're people just like you and me. Their needs are the same. And I take comfort in the fact that the Bible teaches me that all people know that God is real. In their heart of hearts, everyone knows that God is real. That's why they hate Him so much. You can't hate someone you don't believe in. You can't fight against someone that you don't even think exists. 
I've never been mad at the tooth fairy. And the tooth fairy missed one of my one of my teeth. Yeah. I was devastated. The tooth fairy let me down. Tooth fairy can't be real. Tooth fairy hurt me. How can how can he be real? Nobody rages against the tooth fairy. Nobody rages against Santa when they don't get presents. Nobody hates him. Why do people hate God? Because they know he exists. If he truly didn't exist, it'd be like, well, that's because he doesn't exist. That's why that was. And that'd be it. But that's not what people do at all. So there's a lot of similarities there that aren't readily apparent. There's a lot of opportunities to minister that maybe aren't in our face necessarily. But people everywhere, they respond to love. They respond to compassion. They respond to uh, sincerity. That's what they respond to. It doesn't matter if they're Buddhist or Hinduist or, or Muslim or Christian or atheist. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they're from Africa or Asia or America or North South Pole. It doesn't matter. They respond the same way because they're human beings just like you are. They have the same basic needs. They were created the same way you were. But it's going to be difficult for us to get through all of that if the seed isn't ready. The seed's not going to germinate if we're continuing to worry about us. Even, in, even when we're ministering to someone. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them a Bible study. I'm ministering to them. But when you talk to that person, all they can talk about is how they're making me feel. The questions they're asking me and, and the insinuations that they're throwing at me. And yeah, me, 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 me. Well, small wonder. What's going on with them? What needs do they have? What are you doing to minister to those? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They're, they're going to come out with some vitriol. You pop a pimple and pus is going to come out. Okay? If I can say it that way, forgive me. But it happens. When you start... When you start pressing on sensitive areas in people's lives, yeah, they get angry sometimes. They react in strange ways. They're not attacking you. Don't take that personal. It's easy to take it personal, especially when the seed's not ready. But when the seed is ready, our lives are already laid down. We're already dead in, in Christ. We're dead to our old natures. We're dead to, to all of that. All I'm interested in right now is, is ministering to this person. There's a reason they're reacting this way. Let's get to that. Why are you responding that way? Why are you angry right now? People will open up to that, by and large. Not all the time. 
But by and large, people respond to that sincere love. They do, because they're not getting it out there. They may have 500,000 followers on Twitter, but they don't have a relationship with one person. Not one person. What kind of life is that? Do you think any of those 500,000 are going to show up at the, their funeral? Do you think they could call any, any of them when they have a need? No, they can't. When our seed is planted in someone else's life, when God plants the seed of His Word in someone's heart, we expect growth, we expect germination. That comes through you and through me. When we're ministering to someone, the Word of God is going to come through you into their lives. If we love our life, we're going to lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If we're too precious with our own lives, if we're worried about our own skin, we're going to find ourselves compromised at some point. We're going to find ourselves in a situation where the price is right and we sell out to save our own skin. Because when we love our own lives like this, I'm not talking about loving ourselves, I'm talking about loving our own lives. That person always has a price. And Satan's very happy to meet it. God puts us through situations and circumstances to get the seed ready. To get the seed ready to plant. In preparation for a harvest. Now, the obvious connotation there is a harvest of souls, revival. But it applies to more than just that as well. We can reap spiritual harvest in our own lives. A relationship with God. A fruitful ministry. There are all kinds of harvests to reap. Not just souls. We're going to continue to do what we're doing. We're on, the, we're on the, the path that God has laid out for us. And I'm expecting, in His time, that's going to happen. But there are still things that you and I can do. I trust that most everyone is doing them. We're praying. We're fasting. <clears throat> we're preparing for rain. We're preparing for a harvest. But we need to harvest in here as well. A harvest of spirituality. We need to become Christ-like. And we're moving toward that daily. We're never going to get there in this life. But that's the goal. That's what we're pressing toward. To be Christ-like. 
when I get poked, I don't feel it because I'm dead. When someone insults me, I don't care because I'm dead. I'm dead to this life. I'm dead to my old nature. You're insulting me for a reason. What is that? Are you hurting? Did someone betray you? What is it? Let me help you. There are all kinds of open doors out there that we can walk through. God ministered to the needs first before he started teaching them doctrine. It's hard to teach a Bible study to someone that's going through cardiac arrest. Let's take care of the heart attack first. Let's get him stabilized. Let's get him up and running. Then let's teach him a Bible study. There are some needs that people face that they're uh, situations they're going through right now. <laughs> I know the Word of God is quick and powerful, but they're just not going to be hearing you right now. They're in so much pain. They're going through so much suffering. They have such an immediate need right in front of them. They can't hear you right now. So let's help them with that need. Let's help minister to that need. They'll be much more ready to listen to what you have to say about Scripture. In conclusion, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 20 says this, That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. I put this in here to demonstrate that our life is wrapped up in Him. If we're going to be alive in a spiritual sense, we're going to be alive unto God. We're going to be attached to the vine. His life will flow through us. That's the only way that we can be alive spiritually. He is our life and the length of our days. He's so much more than that. He's our all in all. Our ever-present help in time of need. Our exceeding great reward. Our shield, our buckler, our strength, our salvation. I could go on for an hour. He's everything to us. But we're alive in Him. And if we separate ourselves from Him, we die spiritually. The natural death is inevitable. One way or another, we are going to exit this mortal coil. And we are going to go to God who made us. Our spirits will ascend to God. But where we live forever, where others are going to live forever, that's a decision that we make today. Amen. God is getting us ready. Let Him do that. The process isn't always easy. In fact, almost always it's painful. It's hard. But that's the process. Unfortunately, The best growth that we will ever experience in life comes through hardship, suffering, 
lack. That's the only way we humans can truly grow. By going through the refiner's fire. Amen. Let God do that. Let God continue to do that in your life. Don't kick against it. Don't complain. Won't do you any good anyway. (laughs) Just submit yourself to the plan of God. And at the end of all of it, we will all be ready. We'll be ready to do what God wants us to do. Amen. Let's all stand.